You know, this, this song is called uh, Abbey Rock. Every time I listen to it, makes You're me You're bouncing. Like, yeah. You can't, can't see me bouncing. Wait a minute. But. Do you mean the song that should be called The Snowstorm? Well, it is the intro to The Snow Report. Uh, with us as always, Misty K. Snow, Utah candidate for Senate, Democratic candidate, running against the uh, evil and incompetent Mr. Mike Potato Lee. Head. <laughs> I mean, Mike Lee. I'm sorry, Baby Killer Mike Lee, Fre- Freudian slip. <laughs> uh, Mike Lee, who cares not for children? I should say, not Baby Killer. I mean, really, though, the kids in Flint, uh, you know, who he did not vote for the money, uh, he's just saying, you know what, you're, you're good. Go ahead and die of cancer in five years. Well, he's, he's approaching this from the Republican stance of pick yourself up by no, your bootstraps. No, 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 no. Step back a second. He was one of three senators that voted no on that proposal. So definitely not taking it from a Republican stance. Let me, let me rephrase that. He's taking it to the extreme on the Republican stance where those people just need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, rub some dirt in it, and do it for themselves. I think they actually called that the Tea Party stance, because he's like one of the, you he know, is. the very small uh, fraction of the Tea Party senators, and that's how they roll, apparently. Already dropping the wisdom, Misty K. Snow at MistyKSnow.com. The K stands for killer. So, uh, today we're going to be talking about wasteful spending, not something that I would say the uh, money for Flint was, uh, but let's first introduce the room. I am your host. Uh, I am the host of the New Utah Podcast as well, which uh, all of us are from. My name is Chris. We also have with us... Jeremy Gates, happy to be here. Yo, yo, this is j Dog. <laughs> oh, boy. Girl. <laughs> That, that would be Josh. Apparently, Josh is now called J Dog for the rest <laughs> of the his night. radio name, and, and I'm Jessica. Uh, Jessica, and of course, we have Misty K yep. Snow. I'm Misty K Snow. And as as always, Trudy is here silently, on looking and listening, enjoying the show. There's a reason why they keep me silent. <laughs> you are the unsung hero of the campaign. Hardworking, diligent, and kind to animals. And <laughs> yeah, no, Trudy's a great speaker. She just. Uh, yeah, what prefers to be doing other stuff. Now there's only five microphones in the room, and there's five of us, so. And I yeah. use two of them. I, he tries. He sure does try. Uh, so wasteful spending. Um, Misty, why don't you give us a uh, 40,000 foot overview of, of your thoughts on congressional and, and federal spending and, and where we can make some cuts? Right, when I said the idea of wasteful spending is like a lot of people, when they talk about wasteful spending, they talk about. You know, where there's like a fraud, where there's abuse, where there's, you know, stuff that's like doesn't have the full transparency it needs. And a lot of times, I think a lot of people, when they talk about wasteful spending, a lot of times they talk about things like the military budget. We have stuff like the F-35 fighter jet program, which our own Air Force says we does, don't need, but we're spending uh, millions and millions of dollars on this program, actually billions and billions of dollars on this program that our own Air Force doesn't need, says we don't need, but we are keep spending it. Uh, there's other areas, uh, you know, that, I mean, where, what's wasteful or not, I mean, I think there's a disagreement, but there are some areas that we probably could cut, but, I mean, a lot of times when they talk about wasteful spending, though, they're also talking about uh, cutting the deficit, and, you know, but they don't want to, you know, the easiest way to really 
pay down a deficit is to increase uh, revenues. And the way to increase revenues, of course, uh, increasing taxes or closing tax loopholes so that there's more money coming in. Closing tax loopholes like the one that Donald Trump is now trying to spin, that he's a smart guy and figuring out all the problems and doesn't have to pay federal income tax because, well, you know, he's a cheap and a scam. And <laughs> Yeah, like uh, tax loopholes like that one or tax loopholes that allow... Uh, corporations to uh, avoid paying taxes, like like Chevron and Co. They, uh, they have all these overseas, like uh, tax havens, where so they don't spend pay taxes. But if you're a U.S. citizen, you live anywhere in the world, you're required to pay your income tax uh, to the federal government. Corporations uh, don't aren't held to that same standard. So. However, corporations are people. I hear. I know. Uh, isn't from, that from isn't that Jonas. interesting? Yeah. Isn't that an interesting double standard? It's like if they're the, people, then the maybe paradox. they should have all the have all the same full restrictions as a. Uh, People too. Well, so I I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, wasteful spending because because it is I mean that's the topic today obviously and you brought up a few things so a lot of times when you hear wasteful spending and you hear Republicans speak of it they want to cut social welfare programs you know um, they they dare not ever say they want to cut Medicare benefits right because that's the senior citizens that's the people that's the only part of their voting block that's still alive. Well, um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's like, you know, I was just actually watching Chris Stewart and Charlene Alberin debate today, and Chris Stewart seems like he's in favor of actually cutting Social Security, which benefits uh, seniors. And, you know, so it's, you know, I think Republicans are in favor of cutting Social Security. They're in favor of cutting Medicare. They might not talk about it as much, but when the question's asked, they, you know, they don't seem to care about uh, uh, people that much and want to make cuts to those programs, so... Well, and I, I think what confuses a lot of people is they see a bunch of different charts and numbers and graphs with federal spending out there, and they see some things that say, you know, one graph may say that, that spending on health care is, you know, a third to, you know, up to two-thirds of our national budget with Social Security included, and others that show military being well over half, and it's really confusing for them, you know, what is federal spending? Like, where does that money go? What percentage is it really? Where does it make that impact? So, you know, I've pulled up some numbers, and, and one of the things that, that I found in a lot of my research over the last year or so really looking at this uh, is really there's two ways to look at it. So the government has essentially three different segments to spending. So they have uh, mandatory spending, stuff that's, that's already committed that they've got to pay for. They have discretionary spending, which changes from year to year. And then basically they have interest. So well, <laughs> Jess is like... I'm helping you so you can see your screen. Moving my mic around. I, I thought it was like a, a Wayne's World segment where it's like, so Wayne's bad. World, party on. <laughs> yeah. Like, all of a sudden, my mic starts ghosting around me, and I'm trying to, like, move Haunted my face microphone. to it. It's October. Um, but, so anyway, so depending on which part of that segmentation you look at, the spending is different. So we have a lot of discretionary spending that is, is military-related. But when you look at overall spending, for total federal spending, you know, military is really less than a quarter the total spending, the vast majority of spending actually does go to, to Social Security programs and to, to Medicare and Medicaid type programs. Like, I would say almost half goes to that. So are, are there ways, Missy, that, you know, is that an area of spending that we can cut? 
Well, Social Security is, uh, when people talk about Social Security spending, you know, it's like, you know, we've been taking money in uh, from through Social Security withholding uh, since uh, the 1930s when they mm-hmm. first uh, introduced this program. And the actual amount we have on our ledger from what we take in, we have about a $4 trillion surplus on Social Security. The money we are paying out in Social Security is money that we've already uh, put paid, that's already been paid for by uh, working people. And we're just, that's the money we're paying back. So when they say Social Security spending is a part of government spending, you know, they are actually, you know, this is money that this has already been paid for. These are benefits well, that working people have already paid for. And that's part of that mandatory spending. Like yeah. we don't have a choice. That, yeah. that, that money's already earmarked from the day it enters the system to go back to Social to, Security. To be less confusing, they should pull it out of that ledger in that, in that angle because it's not really their money. It's yeah. our money, and they're they're custodians of this money. And so to to put it in in that position makes it confuses people and makes people think that it's a part of yeah. revenue or or something else that can just be distributed willy nilly. Yeah, that's actually by intention because Republicans like are against Social Security. They want to cut Social Security. They like to talk about you know how their deficit spending when they but when you look at who holds the deficit, the American taxpayers are the largest owners oh, of the far. American debt because of Everyone talks about the Chinese and the Germans I mean, coming the Russians, to cash in their uh, debt. Uh, no, American taxpayers are the largest holders of the U.S. debt because the largest portion of the debt is the Social Security yeah, fund, which working people have paid in for, to, and it has an over $4 trillion surplus currently. And, and there's totally a lot of money still going into bonds and things like that. I mean, that's where a lot of that money comes from as well. And Anyone that says that China is going to come and, you know, call our number and make us pay back our debt, let them. I mean, if they really did, I don't think they would, but if they really did, that's something that we could figure out how to pay. I mean, the American people could, could come up with that. I don't think it's difficult. So when I look at, you know, wasteful spending, I really try to look at the discretionary spending. And that's the spending that, that, the government kind of has to make a decision on. It's not committed already. Um, and the government gets to say, okay, we're going to allocate X amount of dollars in this next budget. Now, out of the total budget, which is about $3.8 trillion, you're looking at about $1.1 trillion in discretionary spending, which is still, I, I can't even fathom a trillion dollars. It is so much money. It's such a huge budget. It, it really is. It's, I mean, that's why I said we're the largest economy in the world. We're the world, I mean, that's why you say we're the richest country in the history of um, Earth, and $3.8 trillion a year our federal budget is a lot of money. It's, I mean, that's, you, you know, so, but so when we're talking about, you know, cutting like a few million dollars, that's why it's like, when, that's why when we talk about, you know, $100 million off for Flint aid is not asking for much to have insured children have clean drinking water. Uh, you know, that's not going to, that's not going to hurt the deficit. That's not going to, it's like, it's a minimal cost that actually ensures children have uh, clean drinking water. What What about you know, national park spending, funding the fish and wildlife services, that sort of thing. Yeah, and again, a lot of those things are ensure that we have, you know, we're protecting our natural, uh, beautiful lands. You know, fishing game ensures that, you know, uh, you know, there are not overfishing or overhunting, that, you know, that, that, that the game is actually uh, safe to eat. You know, we don't want sometimes uh, some fish end up uh, really contaminated with mercury or something. They're actually not safe to eat. So they, uh, they actually do, algae. again, a good job of protecting our lands or protecting our wildlife and also protecting the people who might eventually consume uh, uh, these uh, animals. So it's very important work, and we're talking about protecting our environment, protecting our people. I think this is all important spending. You know, so when people are talking about cuts, it's like, are we going to cut you know, programs, social uplift, like Social Security, going to cut food, stamps, or you, can, you know, those are, those are programs that actually help people 
that actually keep people from living poverty, helps uh, feed people. So when we're talking about wasteful well, spending, a lot of times people want to talk about the military budget, where I think that might be the easiest place to really make cuts. Well, to be clear, the military budget, you know, in that discretionary spending piece, the piece that you can really talk about cutting budget, um, it's well over half of that $1.1 trillion. It's at almost $600 billion a year right now. That's that's the 2016 or 2015 uh, spending number. So, I mean, $600 billion over half of that is is military. And there's tons of, of, of list after list of failed military projects. You talked about the F-35. Now, the F-35, for those of us in Utah, is actually, you know, a program that I'd like to see stick around. Hill Air Force Base is getting F-35s, if, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and, and yeah, the program costs a ton of money. They don't really need to fight her. But we do need to stay, you know, up to date on our military technology, I think. But having that squadron of F-35s helps ensure the Hill Air Force Base is going to be around a bit longer. You know, I'm not a huge fan of Orrin Hatch, but that's one thing that him being, you know, where he's at in the Senate has done for Utah is it's probably saved a, a ton of jobs by having Hill Air Force Base stay open. Well, I mean, you know, people always talk about, you know, like, well, what about the military base? But this, you know, F-35 fighter jets, so it's a controversial program because our very own, like, military advisors in the U.S. Air Force say it's a fighter jet that is not needed. And so if, like, if our own military says we don't actually need these fighter jets, why are we spend, by spending uh, billions and billions of dollars making them? It's, it's the sunroof. Well, yeah. I mean, the new feature on the <laughs> F-35, like the, the I mean, sunroof. we have lots of great fighters. You know, it's like if the F-35 fighter jet isn't the project they'd want to spend the money on, the main Maybe we should be spending this money on a project our military says we actually need. But, you know, the amount of jobs we create by creating F-35 fighter jets, maybe we'd create more jobs by making, you know, spending that same money on making investments in a clean energy because there'd be a lot of jobs uh, investing in a green economy. There'd be jobs to be had by, you know, building infrastructure for greener transportation. You know, we might be able to create more jobs in other places if we invest that money elsewhere. So I think it is wasteful spending to be buying up airplanes that our own military says we don't need that are very costly. It's, you know, if we want new weapons, it's important to have up-to-date weapon systems, but we they should be weapon systems that our military says we actually need. You know, I mean, we have all of our top military advisors that are supposed to advise on these things, supposed to make decisions on these things, but then if we aren't listening to uh, their advice, then you know, it seems kind of counterintuitive or counterproductive. You know, one thing that you, you spoke about that really hit a note with me is someone needs to do analysis on how many jobs are created by each F4, F-35. It costs us how much money to create how much how many jobs, and how much revenue does that generate? I mean, if someone did the analysis and said, you know, this is how much it costs, this is how much it generates, and yet here's this other project that would create more jobs, because that argument can be diffused in an instant with some hard facts around this is how much it costs, this is how much it generates. Or maybe we could use some of the money to hire more teachers, or, I mean... like Yeah, I mean, if you look at that graph, education education is, is piddly. Uh, in discretionary spending at less than seventy billion a year, um, but I wipe my butt with seventy billion a year. <laughs> so, I mean, so military spend. Donald Trump thinks he does. Um, so, you know, military spending. The, the F thirty five project. You know, they're estimating that over the lifespan of the aircraft, about thirty years, it's going to be over a trillion dollars uh, to deal with with those F thirty fives. Part of the problem, I think, in military spending isn't the research and development into things that the military may or may not need. It's the astronomical costs associated with that. So that, you know, that trillion dollars, you look at the cost of one fighter jet, 
which is probably somewhere in the realm of, I, I would guess, a billion dollars or, you know, several hundred million dollars for one fighter jet. The costs that are associated in there, there's examples all over the place of, you know, a bolt that goes on the wing that you could buy commercially for five bucks being charged a thousand dollars for. That's outlandish in our defense contracts. And, and I think it would, this is just my Special opinion. interests. Well, I, I think it, it would be like healthcare costs. It would behoove us to, to actually do an audit of that. And I know that would be painstaking and probably cost a lot of money but it would create jobs it would create but said if it's actually saved the taxpayers money it'd be worth it but i think what part of the problem is is uh like the idea there's too much money in politics you know the 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 i get what they call the war profiteers companies like lockheed martin boeing and others you know they they're the ones who profit off of all these uh contracts and they i make a lot of campaign donations to our senators to our uh congressmen and they you know, I pass these bills where they have no bid contract, so they can charge you a thousand dollars per screw, and it's uh, at the cost of you. Know, it's a cost to you, the taxpayers. And well, and it's 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 not just that; it's office equipment, right? So, yeah. like the Pentagon has an insane budget, and they're spending, you know, a hundred thousand dollars on a copier that we buy in our office for less than ten thousand. I know. So- and how much do they charge per screw? So I think one thing we <laughs> we could actually reduce the military spending probably be more oversight, more transparency. A better, you know, a more response, physically, fiscally responsible uh, spending uh, on military. So, I mean, I, I think Misty NASA maybe is the best example of that in recent years. I think it sucks that we're not spending more money on NASA personally. Um, but NASA has gone out and said, okay, you guys get to space. Private companies, you're in a space race. First one that can get there. Uh, successfully, reliably, we're going to give a contract to. Yeah. As opposed to, go ahead and bid it out, and we're going to pay ridiculous amounts and hope that you get there. Yeah, like I said, it's, you know, there's that. I mean, it has, has been working well, but, you know, on the other hand, we as we have cut our space program so much, a lot of space uh, exploration is being done by other countries now. I know Japan and uh, Russia China. does a lot of uh, space travel, space exploration, space missions, you know, it's become a low priority for us. And I mean, I guess you could argue that, you know, you know, mapping out Mars or whatever isn't a high priority, but it is, I think it's important for a scientific uh, perspective. But, you know, but when we call you back to like military spending, like another area I think we could probably save money is really to try to, you know, start working more with our NATO allies and start making our allies, you know, like, a, you know, so if there's NATO North America Treaty Organization, 26 nations, we're one of those nations. To be a member of that organization, one of the requirements is that each nation spends 2% of GDP of its budget for military spending. Only about six nations do. We're one of them. Estonia's one. Turkey's one. But there's a lot of countries in there like Latvia, Lithuania, United Kingdom that are way below that 2% threshold. Fear Estonia. Fear Estonia. It's... So it's our taxpayers really kind of picking up the tab to keep all enough soldiers in Europe, to keep enough equipment in Europe. Well, which is why when we do the unified NATO actions, you'll see, yeah, Australia, you know, not Australia, but, you know, the UK and the French have maybe sent some troops, but they're far outnumbered by the number of American troops on the ground. Yeah. And, it's, and they're right there. It's, I know. So I'd like to see, I think we need to you know, really start encouraging Europe to take a stronger interest in its own security. They say they're worried about ISIS. They say they are worried about uh, Russia, which in recent years has shown a willingness to invade, occupy, and annex territories of European nations. But most of these countries are are failing to spend 
the required 2% of GDP on military spending like they promised they would in the NATO treaty. And, you know, what if Russia, like, for example, decided to invade Lithuania, which I believe is spending about 1.1% GDP on its uh, military, uh, how are we going to make the case to the American people that we now have to go to Russia because we are required under Article 5 of the NATO Treaty, you know, that a war attack against one is attack against all, that we now have to go send our troops to kill and die in Lithuania against Russia. You know, it becomes a lot harder to make that argument when Lithuania has failed to meet its obligations under NATO. So it's, you know, not only is it important for, you know, from our standpoint because it helps us save money because it'd be less of our soldiers there to make up the shortfall, but also would make it easier to actually protect our NATO allies because it makes it easier to make the case to the American people that they are, are actually our allies and that we're not just... That's actually a military alliance and not a military protectorate. And we're picking up the tab, usually. Yes, it's ours. Actually, it. I mean, our country spends about 5% GDP on military spending, and countries like United Kingdom, it's like 0.9%. Lithuania is like 1.1%. I mean, Estonia, Turkey, uh, a couple other, I can't forget. Oh, can't Estonia. Exactly. Which ones? But those just a very small few of our twenty, the top twenty-six or six spend the uh, required two percent. We're like we're like the cool friend that has a job, and <laughs> you want to hang out with the other guys. So you're like, you know what? Just show up, man. I, I got you. I got this first round, and then you buy the second round, and the next thing you know, you bought drinks all night for these deadbeat friends of yours, man. Right, Misty yeah. K. Snow. That's not but I'm against NATO, but it's. You know, it's become, you know, if Russia's dangerous, I mean, Vladimir Putin, like just yesterday, pulled out of a treaty, a nuclear arms treaty, you know, and where people are always yeah. worried about Iran developing nuclear arms. Russia has 6,000 of them, and, and unlike mm -hmm. Iran, which hasn't invaded another well, nation in centuries, and, and Russia just, has invaded nations like this decade. And not just 6,000 of them, but 6,000 of them that, you know, when the breakup of the Soviet Union happened, there's a lot of questions on where some of those actually are and who actually controls some of those now, right? His name yeah. is Putin, and he is Trump's I, best I, friend. I, 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 I rate Vladimir Putin as the world's most dangerous man, and we really need to ensure that our NATO allies are actually, you know, committed to their own security because that not just protects them, it protects all of Europe and us as well. So, Misty, for the first time in our... Continuous dialogue, which I've enjoyed immensely. I must disagree with you. I think Donald Trump is the world's most dangerous man because everyone knows Putin's a she, a, a bad guy. Yeah. People are believing that Trump is a good guy. Uh, I don't know. Trump seems to think Putin's a pretty good guy. And so he's, does so does other so does buddy, Putin's buddy other buddies, Kim Jong Un and uh, Bashar al Assad. Yeah, I don't ever hear uh, of Russia being afraid that Korea's got nuclear ambitions and is firing ballistic missiles, long-range ballistic missiles. They seem to be okay with it. Uh, Russia is the ones who enabled Korea to develop yeah, those nuclear absolutely weapons. Absolutely, I mean, Russia is uh, North Korea's top ally, and you know Vladimir Putin is uh, Kim Jong Un's uh, buddy. Anyone you know, you saw it at the Sochi Olympics. You know, Kim Jong Un sitting there with Vladimir Putin watching the Olympics. Anyone that doesn't think that the Ukraine has something to do with the uh, nuclear material North Korea seems to magically get all the time is crazy. I uh, know that's they get it from Russia. I mean, yeah. which directly borders North Korea. Um, Ukraine had actually when Ukraine you know uh, became independent, so you know, they had the third largest nuclear arsenal in the world. Yeah, about 5,000. Yeah, we've actually, through diplomacy, we convinced them to relinquish those nuclear weapons. Of course, then Russia then uh, just, just invaded annex yeah. and occupied their territory. <laughs> exactly. And they're like, maybe we should have given up our nuclear weapons. And it also makes it harder for other countries. Like, well, you know, like we want nuclear weapons because, you know, we saw what happened to Ukraine when they gave up their nuclear weapons. And 
Yeah, so it's become a much more dangerous world because of Vladimir Putin, and we really need to take him seriously. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about some other areas of, of wasteful spending outside of the military, because what I hear a lot from Republicans, like we said, is, is cutting social programs, you know, cutting, you know, cutting some of the national parks budget or defunding Planned Parenthood, for example, uh, which is another area of spending. You know, do you know what the budget looks like for Planned Parenthood? I mean, how, how big of an impact does that really have? Yeah, no, it's the Planned Parenthood. The amount of money we spend on Planned Parenthood, the federal government, is minuscule compared to when we're talking about things like military, when we're talking about, uh, you know, like uh, some of any of these other programs. It's a very small thing. It's like when we talk about aid to Flint, like we're talking like a hundred million dollars. It's minuscule. It's it's not even you can't. It's not even zero point one percent of our total spending. It's you know, it's like let's do let's yeah, spend a bit tiny. of money to help some people. But we have we have money for bombs, we have money for war, we have money for this, but we don't have money to help uh, the children flint. It's and golden toilet. It seems like it seems like a problem with our priorities as a nation. What are our priorities? Yeah. So just just so everyone's kind of aware, in this three point eight trillion dollar budget, this one point one in discretionary spending, Planned Parenthood gets about half a billion dollars from the federal government, mostly in the form of Medicaid payments. Yeah, so in a $1.1 trillion budget, I mean, that doesn't even come up on the chart that's, because it's so minuscule. That's less than, than the change that I have sitting in this little change cup over here. I mean, it's it's piss money. Which he wipes his budget. butt with, that change. Yeah, I mean, it really, it's really rough. It's really rough. But it's 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 nothing. So when... What's interesting, though, is is people like Mike Lee, Senator Mike Lee, and, and there's other folks, especially in the state of Utah, that are more than happy to spend millions, if not billions of dollars, taking these types of things to federal court. And I think there's a place for some of that, but isn't that a, a lot of wasteful spending? Because the federal government has to pay for all those court costs as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's the amount of money we're spending on, like, court costs here in Utah. I mean, this is more of a... State spending theme, we're spending $13.8 million to sue the federal government over federal lands that they, they will lose that lawsuit like every lawsuit ever brought against the Antiquities Act has failed. Well, and every time they do that kind of a lawsuit, the federal government has to spend, I'm guessing, a relatively equal sum of money, and then, right? And then, yeah, exactly. We spend a lot of money on court costs. But when we talk about court costs, we could also talk about our prisons. I mean, how much money is our government spending to imprison nonviolent drug offenders. I mean, it's astronomical. It's, you know, if we decriminalized marijuana and had amnesty for all nonviolent drug offenders, how much money would we save in the federal government? And our new ally, Jamaica, would be a powerful political ally. <laughs> Let's not set that aside, folks. Yaman. I don't think that you... would give the lives, uh, life, lives back to... Uh, you know, thousands of people who are currently in prison. Thousands, and a lot of them That's right, minorities. Right, minorities. The vast majority of them minorities. Not not just a lot, but the vast majority, right? Well, Misty, um, this has been a this has been a very good discussion. I feel um, a lot of stuff we covered. You know, defense spending and uh, other discretionary spending. Um, where can people find you? So, for those who'd like to find out more about my platform, I'd encourage you to go to my website, www.mistyksnow.com. M-I-S-T-Y-K-S-N-O-W dot com. There you will find my website with my full platform. You'll find links to donate to me. You'll find my volunteer link. And at the bottom, you'll also find links to my Facebook, my Twitter, my Instagram. And once again, that website is mistyksnow.com. M-I-S-T-Y-K-S-N-O-W. 
SNOW.com. You have a debate coming up very yes, soon. Yes, next week at Brigham Young University at 6 p.m., I will be debating my opponent, Senator Mike Lee. That will be televised on channels, I believe, 4, 5, 7, 11, KSL, Good For Utah, KUED, KBYU. It'll also be on KSL News Radio and Utah Public Radio, and I believe it will also be live streamed on the Debate Commission website. And that's Wednesday, the 12th of October, correct? Yeah, Wednesday, the 12th of October, 6 p.m. So definitely, you know, if you're still driving home at that time, turn on the radio and listen to the debate. Um, you're really going to get to hear, you know, we talk about it a lot, but I, I think until you hear Misty in that kind of a, a, a situation and environment, you're not going to understand really how educated and well-spoken Misty is. Uh, I was blown away the first time that we, we talked to her some months ago uh, at, at how incredibly smart and, and well-educated she is because my initial concern was that, oh, she's not going to be experienced enough to, to do the job, but uh, she shut that down real quick. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's what a lot of people's concern is until they actually hear me speak. It's, you know, because my... I'm so untypical for a politician. Yeah, people are, are so used to these people. They're born into billionaire families. They're business owners or lawyers. You know, their father was a politician or whatever. And then, you know, and they were millionaires where they ran for Congress. And then it's like somebody who works at a grocery store who's young, who, you know, is uh, from a minority who's working class background. They're like, no, not used to people like me running for office. Like, you know, what, what kind of experience does she have? And, and I think people, you know, actually forget that there's actually a lot of really smart people here who just don't have the opportunities because they weren't born to wealth. They weren't born with all the privileges that someone like Senator Mike Lee was born with. Well, so I, I think I think the important distinction here is that you actually represent people who have to go through this stuff, whereas a person who is completely out of touch with all that, if you've been handed everything in your life, you have no idea the impact of of economy. It's an, it's an esoteric concept to you because... All you know is you go write a check and there's money there because mom put your, your big trust there. I think it's, I think it's a powerful statement to say that you, you've actually walked the walk and that's incredibly rare in politics. You are doing what Trump set out to do, which was infuse new blood and new ideas into politics. The problem is he's a bigot and a misogynist. You actually know your stuff. And so there's a huge distinction there, but. You're doing what he wanted to do. Well, that and Trump, uh, you know, again, was a guy who lived for life of privilege. You know, his father was rich. And, you no, know, Trump will a, talk about his small, small multi-million loan. dollar loans. <laughs> I mean, he's like, he has no concept of what a small loan is. Most of us, when we think of a small loan, we think of a couple thousand dollars. Donald Trump, when he thinks of a small loan, he thinks of like a million dollars. Yeah, so it's, it's not. he's so out of touch with like the needs and the actual lives of average people. So I I think that's what uh, really sets me apart is I actually understand where most people are coming from. And again, folks, get out and vote. If you live in the state of Utah, no matter where you're at, from from down south in, in St. George all the way up to, to, what, Brigham City, I think, is the furthest Logan, north. I think Logan's right there near the border. Yeah, Logan, Brigham City, down. Perry, where, wherever, all the way out you know, to, to Moab, to Vernal, to Manila. You're yeah, in Manila, Manila if you live in like Manila. Daggett County. Yeah, out in Daggett County in the middle of nowhere by Flaming Gorge Reservoir. You can vote for Misty K. Snow. Uh, but more importantly, just vote. You know, whether you believe in what Misty represents, get out and vote because your vote does have an impact. It does make a difference. In the state of Utah, races are decided by less than 100 votes in almost 
every local case yeah, and so in a lot of big cases. 2014, we had three state legislative seats that were decided by slim margins. One uh, House seat was decided by 47 votes, another by 53 votes, and another by 195 votes. Well, and even the, like the Doug Owens Mia Love race 7, last year. 7,511 votes. Yeah, I mean, it's not... It's, it's a small margin, guys. It's not a lot of people, so your vote makes a huge difference. And I guarantee you, your vote will make a huge difference in the race of Misty K. Snow versus Mike Lee. So again, MistyKSnow.com, and thanks, Misty, for joining us again. Thank you very much for having me. Woot!